Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. As we wrap up our series titled Anticipation, we will begin to discuss the Christmas story and the anticipation that comes with Jesus' birth as well as after his birth. Let's listen in. Everybody, hope everybody is is staying warm or figuring out how to. I, I, I am designating this group the holier-than-thou group because y'all made it to church this morning. Well done. Uh, we, you know, and, and I'll just say, we, we have a very unique policy when it comes to canceling church, and our assumption is that if the Vikings don't play, we won't have church. And so, uh, so we're, we're, we're open. So, but we're just so glad to see you this morning. I'm really glad to see you this morning. And we are finishing up uh, a four-week series called Anticipation. And like the video said, we, uh, we have been going through the, the Advent season talking about the fact that just like the people of, of the Old Testament lived with an anticipation of a coming Messiah, we, as a New Testament people, as, 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 as post-death and resurrection people, we exist and we live with the, with the same type of anticipation and expectation, but we're not waiting for the Messiah to be born. We're waiting for the Messiah to return. And, and so as we wrap up this four-week series this morning, if this is your first time with us uh, at Motion City, or if this is your first time with us during this series, I just want to give you guys a quick catch-up as to what we've been talking about over the last four weeks. And, and so week one, we talked about the power of hope. That hope is a confident expectation in the future. And if we don't have hope, we don't got nothing. And, and sometimes when situations get bad enough, we fall back into hope, believing that no matter what the circumstance or situation, God's plan is greater. So our hope is not in circumstance. Our hope is in the one who brings about the circumstance. And week number two, we talked about the peace that Jesus brings, that Jesus... Uh, uh, when we live a life for Christ and with Christ, it's not the absence of trouble, but there's a peace that surpasses the trouble. And last week, Nathan did a phenomenal job talking about joy, talking about the fact that Jesus is the source of our joy, and if the source of our joy is in anything, it is a source that will run out. But when our Joy is anchored and sourced in Jesus. He's not simply the, the definition of joy. I mean, he's like the, the, the garden hose that just keeps giving it. And so you can walk through. Uh, we, we love the, the script in our family, the band The Script, uh, specifically a song that they uh, sing with Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, and, and there's a line in that song that my six-year-old just kind of shouts out wherever she is. And the line is, you can walk straight through hell with a smile. And that's kind of become our anthem of sorts in, in situations where, man, you can, with the joy that is anchored in Jesus, you can walk straight through hell with a smile because Jesus is the source of our joy. And so this morning, as we conclude with the fourth candle uh, of our Advent series, this morning we are gonna, we're going to land this plane and we are going to be talking about love. Now, for some of you, I, if I can assume this morning, Many of you are probably thinking, or if this is your first time, you're like, well, obviously you're going to talk about love. That's the Christmas story. That's what the, the, the story of Christmas is about. It's God's love for me. And yes, while the story of Christmas and ultimately the message of the gospel is of God's love for all people, when we look back 
throughout the scriptures, when we look back from the beginning of the word of God to where Jesus comes on the scene, and, and if you were to look at your life, sometimes uh, you know, if, if, as we look back in scriptures, as we look back in our lives, we can see that love, sometimes especially the love of God, is in serious question. And so if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi chapter 4. Uh, Malachi chapter 4 is where we're going to start, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you have a smartphone, if you don't have either of those things, we'll have the verses up on the screen. Um, And I know that the book of Malachi isn't really a Christmas passage. I know that it's not not one that you would typically hear maybe at a Christmas service, but um, what I want to do is I want to set the stage just very quickly Uh, about what's taking place and and what the birth of Jesus really means to the people of Israel, but what it means for us today. And so the book of Malachi, chapter 4, this is what it says. The Lord of heaven's armies says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. Great start. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. Just gets getting better. I mean, with the, as cold as it is outside, burning straw doesn't sound too bad right now. They will be consumed, roots and branches and all. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave to him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of, the, of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The interesting thing about this passage of Scripture, the interesting thing that we just read together is this is the last thing that God says as we end what I like to refer to as the first act in the story of God. As we end the Old Testament, this is the final thing that God says through the prophet Malachi, and it's a call of of judgment. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to do uh, exist and do a 360 because judgment and fire and and destruction is coming. But the interesting thing about this is it's not simply the last thing that God says at the end of the Old Testament. This is the last thing that God says, period. For 400 years, God remains silent. And if you have a Bible, and if it's a paper Bible, and you have that one page that goes in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that one page represents 400 years of God not speaking to mankind. Now, regardless of whether the people of Israel, or regardless of whether you or I hear the voice of God in our lives and either do what it says or don't do what it says, the idea that God is speaking to you and to I and to the people of Israel is a very significant sign that God loves us. But what happens when God stops speaking? What happens when God goes silent? 
what would that naturally indicate to the people of Israel? And what does it naturally indicate to you and to I? And in the back of their minds, I can, I can almost imagine the people of Israel sitting at, at year 100 and at year 200 and at year 300 in the back of their minds thinking about this anticipation and expectation, like kind of having maybe conversations over an evening fire. And it's like, wait, didn't, but didn't God say something once about a Messiah? Didn't God say something once about this? Didn't God promise us that something was coming? Didn't God once promise us that someone was coming? Didn't God? Didn't God? Didn't God? And so on and so forth. And as the people of God continue to slip further and further away from God, God has to bring, again, the words of Malachi, the words of judgment. And once again, God continues like he always does to offer them warning and an opportunity to make a course correction. If you have a, a GPS on your phone or in your car, I love the GPS when it gets me where I need to go, but I hate when I miss a turn because then she starts talking to me. And she starts kind of just poking at me and bugging me and nagging me that I, that I made the wrong turn. And it's not that I'm upset that she's letting me know that I made the wrong turn. The, the fact is I'm more upset that I made the wrong turn. And, and so God is offering the people of Israel, just like God is offering many of us continually an opportunity to change directions, to have a course correction. And, and ultimately, why does he do that? Well, because he loves us. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you're, hope that you're taking notes, um, point number one is this. I got three of them for you. This morning, the first point is this. Before you can move forward, before you move forwards, you have to look backwards. Before you can move forwards, you have to look backwards. Now, one of the things that comes along with the Christmas season is, is, is New Year's. And I love, I love New Year's. I love waking up at January 1st. I used to wake up a lot later, but now I got kids and they don't care. But I love waking up on January 1st and knowing that it's a brand new 365 days. It's a brand new year of opportunities. It's a year of new adventures. It's a year of, of new goals. I love setting personal goals, like how many books I'm going to read the, over, throughout the year. I love uh, looking over the calendar for this church and, and the things that, well, the sermon series that we're going to be preaching. And, and let me tell you, man, 2017 is looking to be one of our best years ever. And, and so I'm just super excited about um, just what God is bringing up in, in, in my heart. And Nathan and I have been working on a calendar and Jen as well. We've been working on a calendar, and so we're just excited about it. New, new goals for the church, new goals for my family. But the truth is, those are all well and good, and I, I, I believe in making goals, and I believe that we should be people who make goals, but the reality is if we don't deal with what we need to deal with in 2016, we'll carry what we want to leave in 2016 into 2017 with us. And what we thought was a brand new 365 days will be a old 365 days because we're not dealing with what needs to be dealt with. And in order to move forward, we have to look backwards because if we don't, we face the tendency not of bringing along our own issues with us, but we can face the, the, the tendency of passing down our mistakes or our and those consequences to the next generation. 
Uh, in the book of Psalms, chapter 145, verses 4 through 6, it, 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 the psalmist informs us that whether we, we know it or not, we are generationally minded as people. This is what the psalm says in uh, Psalm 145, starting in verse 4. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Man, if anyone's like me, you, you've had some similar conversations with yourself, and they usually start like this. Man, I really wish I could just forget my past. I really wish I could get past that thing or those things that I've done. Why do I keep doing this? I wish that I could just move forward. Maybe if I don't think about it, then it'll just go away. And the truth is, I have had every single one of those thoughts, and if I'm just being vulnerable this morning, I still have those thoughts about my past, about the things that I've done. And the difficult truth is that until we deal with whatever we're hoping to leave behind in 2016, those things will continue to follow us into 2017 and to 2018, 19, 20, and the cycle will begin all over again, so much so that in many cases, some of you may be sitting in this room right now, and you are a part of a vicious shame Cycle that you have no idea how you ended up living with. You have no idea why you woke up feeling the way that you do about you, about someone else, about whatever it could be. And the, sometimes the issue is it's not your issue to deal with, but it's been an issue that has been refused to be dealt with by someone who has come before you. You may be dealing with someone else's past, or you could be in, 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 in my opinion, a scarier place about being in the habit of maybe passing those things down to, the, to your kids and those kids to their kids. See, but the reality is that God loves us enough to allow our past not simply to be moments of shame and embarrassment for our lives, but he, he allows our past to be catalysts to a better tomorrow. Because when we look at our past, we can see two very specific things. One, how not to make the same mistakes in the future. Or two, how great the love of God truly is for your life. Because, man, whatever you have dealt with, it has not broken you and you are still breathing. Which means that God is not done with you yet. Which means he wants to use your past as a catalyst for hope in your future, but not simply yours, for the people that you interact with who need to know that there's life after hell. Who needs to know that there's life after hopelessness, that need to know your story because your story could be the thing that pulls them out of their hell on earth. Little thought that I thought was good enough to write down. So if you want to write it down, you can. Next slide, Ms. Teresa, is, that, is this. The reality is there's no shame in a past that has been re forgiven, redeemed, and repurposed for the glory of God. And I think as Christians, if you're a Christian in this place, we have to stop living with our past at the forefront of our identity. Because it's not who we are. 
In Christ, we are more. In Christ, we are restored. In Christ, we are purposed. We're not who we used to be, although let's use what we used to be as ammunition for God's glory in our future. There's no shame in a past that's been forgiven, redeemed, repurposed for the glory of God. Point number two is this. Point number two is that God's silence does not equal God's inactivity. God's silence does not equal God's inactivity. One of the things that I, I've learned a lot of things over the last collective nine years of being a dad is, it's, I mean, I've learned quite a few things. Hopefully I continue to learn more. But one of the things that it's taught me is the value of a timeout. I don't know if anybody's ever been put in a timeout. I was put in many of them. I have put my children in many of them because my children are me. Or, or you've, you've put someone in a timeout before, whether it's a child or, or anything. And one of the things that I remember when I would often get put in timeout as a kid or when my younger brother would is one of the things that I, I continue to think is that, okay, this, I've, I've officially, like, crossed the line. My parents are done dealing with me. Like, they're done taking my stuff. They're done talking. I mean, it's just done. I've, I, you know, I took that one cookie, and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because it's been seven years of stealing cookies, and my parents just can't take it anymore. Like, their, their, their capacity for disrespect is seven years of stealing cookies. They can't deal with me and my brother anymore. And, and, and the reality is, some cases, yes, we, as parents, we default to timeouts when, when we're just done dealing with stuff. It's like, I'm that's it, Taylor, Addison, I'm done. Go to your room. Stomp over to your room. And then there's those moments where all of a sudden I hear the door slam. No one loves me anymore. Pfft, I slam, and then I can just breathe for a second. Sometimes it's necessary to take a breather, but in some, some things that I've, I've learned is it allows my wife and I to regroup, um, to replan our attack, as it were. Um, and, and sometimes it was, you know, as I look over my life and with my parents and, and what, I, what my wife and I are trying to do with ours, is we're trying to deal with the situation and then figure out a way that we can set up our kid to succeed so that we don't continue to repeat the things that she's doing that will ultimately cause her harm, whether it's an attitude thing or whether it's a behavioral thing or whatever. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to lay uh, the groundwork for her to exist in success for the rest of her life. See, in that moment of time out, our silence to our kids is not our inactivity towards their good. But it's actually kind of a kickstart for us that we could continue to create things for their good, for their joy, for their future. And, and sometimes I look at, as I look at throughout the scriptures and I look throughout my life and those moments where God has been so silent, what it feels like in my life is, 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 is so much, so discouraging in the moment, but oftentimes if you're, if you're anything into theater and they just had this whole stage like done up for the Jungle Book and it looked like an amazing performance, but it is amazing the commotion that goes on behind the, the, the curtains. And it's way more than what's happening out here, but we, I like what happens out on the front of the stage. Back there stresses me out. That's why I try not to step back there most Sundays is because just the, 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 the curveballs that I throw my team that they, they work with, I just stress Teresa out like crazy back there sometimes. But what, I ha what I've been learning is that God's silence is not God's inactivity because oftentimes he's doing way more behind the scenes than he is 
on the scene. And so what we've got is we've got these people of Israel who have been existing for 400 years of silence. And, and, and we can think that God's not doing anything. But if we go to the book of Matthew chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, go to the book of chapter Matthew the chapter 1, we, we, we catch a glimpse of the things that God's up to, and we look at the first portion of, uh, of that chapter, verses 1 through 16, which is the lineage of Jesus. And again, if I'm just going to be vulnerable and honest, most times I skip over that stuff. Uh, growing up in church, I grew up with an amazing pastor and, and preached from the, the good King James Bible, and I used to refer to these lineages as the begotten verses, like this person begat that person, and that person begat that person, and so there was a lot of begatting happening, but when you don't skip over those, when you don't move to the exciting stuff, which is verse 18, which is where, uh, verse 17, where, where all of a sudden we start to see Jesus come on the scene, when we, when we catch a glimpse of what God's doing in verses 1 through 16, what we see is God's activity of bringing a lineage or a family tree together. We see God very active in the lives of people without being vocal in the lives of people. And sometimes certain people may cross at the right watering hole. And all of a sudden their eyes may catch and that person then will ha get married and begat someone else. Then there's, a I mean, think about if you're married, think about the, 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 the instance where you met your spouse. I was leading worship at a church, and a very pretty blonde walked into the building that I had never seen before, and so I just assumed that it was my job to greet her. That is how Jen and I met. All of the things that existed and were happening that didn't seem significant that brought us to this point We've got two little, two amazing babies. We pastor an amazing church. I mean, all the things that seem insignificant that God plays out in the story of our lives no longer seem insignificant. And so as you read through the first part of Matthew chapter 1, you're basically just seeing Jesus' timeline, Jesus' family tree be built in, and, and people are getting married and having babies and so on and so forth. And then you get to verse 16. And verse 16 says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. What if this morning God's silence in your circumstance is actually him setting up the stage for a breakthrough in your life? What if God's silence is not a staple that he doesn't love you anymore, but it's a sign that he loves you so much he is working diligently behind the scenes to see your life take a course correction. What if God's silence is more proof of his love for you than his lack of attentiveness to you? Please don't diminish what God is doing behind the scenes because you simply can't see it. Don't take his silence as his lack of love. And point number three, if you're taking notes, is this. The birth of Jesus is God's greatest I love you. The birth of Jesus is God's greatest I love you. And I am, here's the deal, I am so excited about tonight. We are doing something with our Christmas service that we've never done before, and we are just 
praying it works, and I'm just believing it works. It's going to work. We've been working on this for a few months now, and, and we're going to get way more into this point tonight, and so we are going to have so much stuff. It's going to be great for the kids. If you've got little kids, you're like, oh, but we don't want to bring little kids as a distraction, man. We believe in families here, so much so that we are setting up a kids' play area on that side of the stage, so ki- little kids are more than welcome and invite everyone you can because they are going to hear the gospel message. And it is statistically proven that people are more likely to say yes to a Christmas service and an Easter service than any other service throughout the year. And what we want to do is we want to set up a beach ball at a Nickelback concert for them to surrender their lives to Jesus. And so, man, come back tonight. It's going to be great. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. We know that God loves us because God's a giving God. He gave us Jesus so that we could know and experience real, life-changing love. The kind of love that doesn't just give you peace, hope, that doesn't simply give you peace, hope, and joy for eternity. Although that is a great addition, it's a great additive, but it's the kind of love that gives you peace, hope, and joy now, today. Facing whatever circumstance or situation you're facing, the kind of love that allows you to love those who don't deserve to be loved well because you remember and understand that you have been loved well. On the day when Jesus Christ was born, the first cries of this baby right after he's born, is God answering the 400-year-old question, God, do you still love us? And with a resounding yes through the cries of the baby Jesus, God is shouting, I love you and I love you so much that I am giving you what is most valuable to me. I'm giving what is most valued to my heart, the person that is closest to me. I am giving him to you. If you've ever questioned this morning, does God love you? All we need to do is look at the timeline from the manger to the cross. And we look at that timeline, and it's it's God continually, once again, offering us an opportunity to be in relationship with him. An opportunity for our lives to make a course correction. This is what the people of the Old Testament were waiting for with eagerness and anticipation. And for those of us who are are in relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what we wait with the same eagerness and anticipation for. We wait for his second coming. We wait for him to come back and right the things that have been wronged. We we, we wait with eagerness as eagerness and anticipation for his justice and for his truth. But until then, but until then, while we wait... Let's hold on to hope. Let's live in peace. Let's anchor our joy in Christ. And let's love people so well that the only response could be Jesus. 
Because of God's love, our lives have been purposed for more. And so as the worship team comes back up this morning, I just want to lay out what our big idea is for today. And our big idea for today is very simple, but it's very profound too. And our big idea is this. We can love well because we've been loved well. We can love well because we've been loved well. When, when you've been loved well, it's a game changer, isn't it? When you've experienced real, true love, doesn't it change something in you? Doesn't, doesn't it change something about the way that you look at the world? Doesn't it change the way that you look at that person who's just difficult? I mean, it may sound super Nicholas Sparksy and super corny, but man, when I, when I have a difficult time dealing with people, when I have a difficult time dealing with my spouse, when I'm having a difficult time dealing with both my spouse and my oldest, man, I can always default to the fact that I've got, a, I've got one more that loves me. <laughs> or when I go through a difficult experience, whether it's with this church or whether it's through relationships with other people and my wife at just the right time says something, I mean, that kind of love changes things. And so it doesn't matter what happens, I can love well because I've been loved well. And, and man, if the world needs anything right now, it doesn't need to know that it can be loved well. It doesn't need to know that there's a God out there who loves them well and loves them so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the message of Christmas. When we think about the reality, man, could you understand how the people of God have been waiting with an eagerness and an anticipation? And if I could just assume something for a second, isn't that the eagerness and the anticipation that a broken and hurting world lives with every day? They just don't know that's what they're living with every single day. And, and what's the answer? Well, the answer is the people of God loving well because we've been loved well. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I just want to invite you into a simple truth no matter what you're dealing with. Man, you may be far from God. You may be uh, as far from God as, as anyone could be. You, could, you think, man, no one has ever been further from God than me. Or, man, you may be someone who is following Jesus. And, man, you just hit a rough week. You just hit a difficult bump in the road. Can I encourage you that if you're far from God, or if you had a difficult week or even, heck, a difficult morning. That's the story of my life today. A difficult morning. God loves you. And he loves you so well that he gave Jesus for you. So you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are loved. And that you are loved well. I just, as we keep getting closer to Christmas, that truth and that reality just begins to set in so much heavier upon my spirit that, man, come December 25th, and here's the deal. We can have theological discussions that wasn't that day in the set or whatever. It's on the calendar, December 25th, Christmas, whatever. 
don't die on that hill. But on December 25th, we can recognize and we can acknowledge that with every cry of a baby, God is shouting, I love you. I love you. So Heavenly Father, this morning, in this place, in this time, in this moment, Holy Spirit, my prayer right now is I just invite you to just move over people and remind them of the Father's love for us. God, for those who maybe have never felt it in a tangible and real way, God, I pray that today they would feel your love in a real and tangible way, a life-changing way this morning. And God, for those who've just maybe had a difficult week or a difficult morning, God, would you remind them of it today? And so in the time remaining, I, we, I'm going to do something a little differently. We're going to do the song, but what I don't want you to do this morning is I don't want you to stand and I don't want you to sing along. What I want to invite you to do is just a moment of reflection. Just a moment where you can just sit and not have to do anything and my prayer is that as the words of this song are sung with each syllable with each phrase you would begin to feel the love of God just surround you. And then I'm going to come up at the end and I'm going to pray and dismiss. And but my prayer for you this morning has been for the last seven days that no matter what has happened this morning, you would know the tangible, real love of God. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you ever have a need for prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next week. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.